Welcome to Tell Me About It, episode 13. Today we're talking all things ulcerative colitis. We'll just call it UC for now. My special guest today is Dallas, one of my best friends actually and longtime sufferer of the disease. She's here to tell us all about it, share her personal journey with us, and spread some awareness as well. So thanks for coming on today, Dallas. No problem. I'm happy to be here. So let's just get started and ask like the basic question of what is ulcerative colitis? Yeah, so it's a form of inflammatory bowel disease. So there's Crohn's and there's colitis. Um, Crohn's affects any part of your intestine, so your small intestine, your large intestine. Um, colitis just infects or affects your um, large intestine, so your colon and your rectum. And it's an autoimmune disease, so your immune system is attack- attacking your um, healthy gut, basically. And it's causing inflammation and ulcers, so they bleed. So it's super painful. And yeah, it comes with like a, abdominal cramping. It's different for everyone, but abdominal cramping, um, fatigue, anemia, um, increased bowel movements, diarrhea. Um, yeah, it's basically what it is. Not fun. <laughs> so like, what is it caused by? Is it genetic at all? So they don't really know the cause of it. They say that it is genetic, but no one in my family has it. And that's the case with a lot of people. So when did you get diagnosed with UC? So I was diagnosed when I was 13. And I was sick for about a year before I was diagnosed. So it kind of started with me just having like kind of a sore stomach. But my mom said that I always had um, stomach issues. So we never really took it seriously. But then I started bleeding. So my mom started taking me to the doctor and she took me to about three different doctors. Like bleeding, like, in your poop? <laughs> yeah, in my bowel movements. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I started bleeding. And so she took me to the doctor and they diagnosed me with hemorrhoids. So I had to have a nice fancy physical <laughs> at 12 years old. So after that, I was pretty much scarred. <laughs> so um, my mom kept taking me back to doctors and they just kept doing the same thing, saying it was hemorrhoids and not really taking it seriously or sending me for a scope, which is how you diagnose colitis. So yeah, I just started like lying to my mom about it and it got so bad that I finally caved and was like, okay, you need to take me to the hospital, and yeah. So that's when it kind of all started. So I was 13 when I finally got diagnosed, and I got diagnosed immediately after going to the ER, and my mom was so mad at me (laughs) because I hid it from her. But I think, yeah, I was just so scarred from all the physicals. (laughs) So there's no cure for it, right? Like, do you just maintain it with medications, and, like, what's your regular routine with that? Yeah, so... There's no cure for it. It's chronic. And the reason being is they don't know what causes it. So they don't know how to cure it. Um, So yeah, I'm on Remicade, which is a biologic. And so what it is, is it's an IV infusion every six weeks that I get. And yeah, it basically suppresses my immune system so that my immune system doesn't attack my body. And so yeah, I kind of just catch literally everything. (laughs) And yeah, it's not fun, but 
I've been on that for five years and it's stabilized me. So I'm really thankful for that. And yeah, I failed a lot of medications before going on Remicade. So it's literally giving me my life back. Um, How common is it like around the world? And is it more common in women or in men? Um, I don't really know if it's more common in women or men, but I know that um, the population of people that have Crohn's and colitis just keeps increasing. It's becoming more and more common. So when I was first diagnosed, I didn't know anyone that had it. But now as I get older, it seems like everyone is kind of getting diagnosed with some form of inflammatory bowel disease. So yeah, and it is worldwide. Like I'm in support groups and there's people from like the UK and wherever else. So yeah, it is pretty common. Do you know if there's like a common age that it can start happening or is is it like more likely to happen when you're younger or older? Um, I believe that it's supposed to kind of show in your early adulthood. So it's not super common in pediatrics from my understanding. But, I mean, I was diagnosed at 13, so I don't know how accurate that is. I think it kind of just happens when it happens. You kind of touched upon this, but what's the big difference between Crohn's and UC? Yeah, so Crohn's is, it can be anywhere in your intestine, so your small intestine, your large intestine, literally anywhere. Um, And then colitis is uh, just your large intestine, so like your colon and your rectum. So mine is mostly in my rectum is where I will get inflammation. But when I was first diagnosed, I was so sick that my entire um, colon was completely inflamed and they almost had to take it. Yeah, they didn't tell me this because I was so young, but they told my mom and she was absolutely mortified. So not fun. What does it feel like when it's like super inflamed? Like, can you describe the pain? It is honestly the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, So when it's inflamed, you literally can't do anything. Like, you have severe abdominal cramping and stomach pains. You wake up in the middle of the night because you need to go to the bathroom. You're going 20 plus times a day. You have diarrhea. You've got blood, so you're becoming anemic, so you're tired and fatigued. Um, yeah, it's honestly just not fun at all, and it's super painful. Wow, I honestly cannot even imagine that. Why do you think that people are so misinformed about the disease? So I think the reason that people don't really know much about it is because it's an invisible illness, so people can't really see it. Even when I was as sick as I was when I was first diagnosed, like, I was severely anemic, My mom said I was one point away from a blood transfusion, but no one noticed. None of my teachers noticed. I was still going to school. My parents didn't really notice because they saw me every day. So people just don't see it, so they don't believe it, I guess. So when I say that I'm sick or my stomach hurts, I think people kind of just look at me and they're like, okay, (laughs) as if thinking it's an excuse or something. Yeah, exactly. And so when I first got diagnosed too, I think I kind of did this on purpose, but I was always missing school, but I honestly didn't like school. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I was playing hooky and my parents thought I was playing hooky, 
but I actually ended up being really sick. So I honestly didn't know how sick I was when I was first diagnosed. Like I really didn't understand it. And even after I was diagnosed, I still didn't understand it just because I was so young and I didn't understand the severity of it. So I didn't really take it seriously. And yeah, I kind of neglected it for a bit. (laughs) So I was in a flare for a while after that one. But yeah. And what do you like? What's your go to when you're feeling like really low and like just like in a bad place? What do you normally do? So when I'm really low and in a bad place, I really just I have to like tell myself to slow down. So if I'm having a bad day and I have class, I really just have to tell myself stay home. (laughs) Like, don't do it. Or if I have plans, I have to cancel them because it's really all about listening to your body. And yeah, sometimes I just have to remind myself that I can't do everything because I do have a chronic disease. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to slow down, especially when you're an adult and you have so many responsibilities, but yeah, you just kind of have to do it. Um, and you're, you're still in uni, like, is it really difficult for you, like, studying, and, like, do you find it hard living with the disease while going to school? Um, so I'm really lucky, and at my school, they have disability services, so I was able to sign up with them and get accommodations, so my accommodations are that I am allowed to miss class occasionally, I'm allowed to get extensions for assignments if I'm not feeling well. And for my exams, I get time and a half and I get to write in a separate room from everyone else, close to a bathroom. <laughs> so, And if I end up being um, sick the day of an exam, I can reschedule or defer it without any issues. I never need doctor's notes or anything. Basically, like, my accommodations are my doctor's note, and my professors can't even argue it, or else they'll get in trouble. So, yeah, that's, like, what gets me through university, but it still is hard sometimes. That's actually amazing how accommodating they are. That's awesome. Um, So, tell us what kind of support groups you're a part of. So I don't do anything in person just because I'm all over the place with school. Um, I go to school in Saskatchewan, but I'm from Airdrie, (laughs) so I'm back and forth all the time, so I haven't been able to join one in person, but I have lots on Facebook that are with people from all over the world, so there's ones for like Remicade, and then there's ones for specifically ulcerative colitis. And yeah, I'm in both of those. So I've like met friends through that and we all kind of like post about things and like how we're feeling and we all support each other. And there's literally thousands of people in these groups, like 30,000 people. Oh my God. Yeah. And then, yeah, I started recently being open about it on Instagram. So I've actually met a lot of people through Instagram as well. Tell us your handle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my Instagram handle is Dallas Renee underscore. <laughs> Super easy. I'll I'll post it in the description later. <laughs> if you want to follow along her journey and like, you know, just keep updated and all that. So obviously there's been some like recent changes with the government with um, changes in like drug coverages. How were you affected by that? Yeah, so specifically it affects Remicade. 
Um, there is other forms of biologics like Humera, but they don't have a biosimilar for it yet, from my understanding. So it's really just people that are on Remicade that are affected, but basically the government is trying to switch us to biosimilars, which are kind of like a genetic, but not quite. Um, so they're a lot cheaper, but the argument is that switching people or patients that are stable on Remicade to these biosimilars can affect our remission. Um, so doctors are like advising against it. So our gastroenterologists or our GI doctors are basically telling the government not to do it. But the government is, I don't know, apparently they have discussed it with um, doctors and nurses and patients and patient support groups across Canada, and apparently they are on board with it. But the government has not um, provided any evidence (laughs) to support this, and Crohn's and Colitis Canada, which is one of the biggest support groups in um, Canada for Crohn's and Colitis patients, um, they collaborated with GI doctors in Canada, and they provided a research paper to the government, basically outlining that by switching us to biosimilars, some of us can lose our remission, and we can end up getting these like unavoidable surgeries. So surgeries for ulcerative colitis are that they take your intestine out, basically, and they create an opening in your abdomen. And then they call it a stoma, so it's your intestine comes out of your abdomen, Mm -hmm. and then a bag attaches to it. So it's life-altering surgery, plus it's very expensive, so the cost savings wouldn't really be there if this is happening. And I can't remember the specific numbers, but I want to say that it's up to 63 patients might end up having to get these avoidable surgeries by switching. But, yeah, the government basically is just ignoring us, so I'm pretty scared about it, but I'm hoping that it's all good. I'm mostly just frustrated that they're undermining um, patient and doctor choice. I really don't think that it should be up to the government what medications we're on. And also, the maker of Remicade, Janssen, has offered to supply Remicade at the same cost as these biosimilars. So, yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but that's where it's at. Holy crap. (laughs) Um, That's honestly terrible. Do you know if these avoidable surgeries would be covered by health care at all? Yeah, so they would be covered, but that's where the argument of it's still costing the healthcare system money that they're trying to save by switching us to biosimilars. So, yeah, they're basically just saying, like, biosimilars are great and they are effective and they are safe and they do work. But the argument is that they might not work for patients that are currently on Remicade. So new patients should be going on these biosimilars and not the ones that are stable. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's where is that? Wow. Um, what pe- like what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to someone who's just diagnosed with UC? So a lot of people actually come to me when they're first diagnosed for advice. And when they're first diagnosed, they're usually in pretty rough shape. So they're coming at me asking about diet and how they can stop going to the bathroom so much or achieve remission. And 
I don't really have answers for it because when you're that sick, there's really no diet that's going to make you better because you literally just can't eat in general, basically. So, like, my advice to them is to just kind of be patient because it is a process to find the right medication, but a lot of them are really undereducated by their doctors. They don't know anything about colitis, and it's actually really upsetting when they're coming at me and asking me questions, and their doctor basically told them, you have colitis, and then pushed them out of the door. So, I really just try and educate them on what colitis is, and... I tell them, like, what does and doesn't work for me, and I tell them to keep a food journal Mm -hmm. to kind of just keep track of, like, maybe foods that make it worse or make it better, even though usually they are really sick. Um, But, yeah, just kind of be patient and rest and trust the process because it is a process and it takes a long time. It took me about four or five years to get into remission and keep it for these five years, so. Yeah, wow. Um, And since you've been diagnosed, what would you say is the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself? Well, I learned that I'm stronger than I ever thought I was. Um, It really pushed me to grow up because I was 13. And at first I was really embarrassed about having it because it is a pooping disease. And when you're 13, people giggle and laugh about poop. Now we're like old they still enough. Do now, but. but now we're like old enough that people are more mature. Yeah. So it's less embarrassing, but I kind of tried to hide it a lot. And so when I was younger, my mental health kind of took a turn and I was really depressed, but I wasn't willing to get help just because I was so young and so embarrassed. So yeah, I think the hardest part is just trying to be open and honest about it when people don't understand and then also I find like the fatigue is really hard so there's a lot of times where I'll have plans and then I have to just cancel because I'm too tired like my boyfriend and I will have a whole weekend planned out to do stuff and then it comes down to the day and I'm like do you want to just like watch a movie in bed (laughs) because I don't really feel like going so that's probably the hardest part for me is the fatigue And just, like, the mental health aspect of things and just really trying to take care of yourself. Oh, for sure. Um, So let's move on to some of the questions I got from social media. I got quite a few. So the first one I got here is, what would happen if you stopped taking your meds? Okay, so if I was to stop taking my meds, I would go into a flare. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's literally no way to avoid it. Um... I know that a lot of people, they try to go off their meds because they don't like the idea of putting something into their body, but I wouldn't advise it because you're just going to go into a flare and then you could end up getting that avoidable surgery. And because I'm on Remicade, if I was to go off my meds, I've failed so many other ones that I probably would have to get surgery. So yeah, I would definitely not ever do that. All right. Uh, next question is, do you take anything over the counter that helps you out? Um, so with the fatigue, I find taking B12 helps me. For the longest time, I never did, but I recently started taking it a year ago, and I went from waking up 
and having to have a nap after being awake for two hours, like literally being so tired that I couldn't even open my eyes. Yeah, like I'd be sitting in class and I'd be dozing off. And yeah, I couldn't even think I couldn't study like it was awful. So I started taking B12 and that really, really helped me. And now I don't even nap. (laughs) So I went from taking like two, three naps a day and sleeping 10 hours a night to not napping at all and only sleeping eight hours. Dang. Um, what's your typical diet like on a daily basis? Yeah, a lot of people ask me this. Um, I honestly don't have a specific diet that I follow. Now that I'm in remission, I don't really have food sensitivities. Um, I really just avoid dairy because that is one that does bug me. Um, apples. (laughs) That's a weird one, but that one really bugs me too. (laughs) I get really sick. So I just avoid those and I eat really healthy, but that's honestly all that I do. Mm-hmm. There's no secret diet that I'm taking. Like that's, yeah, that's literally it. And you said you keep like a food journal or diary? No. So I used to do that when I was first diagnosed because um, my doctor recommended it, but I really don't have food triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I've had it for so long, I kind of just know <laughs> what not to eat and what I can't eat so yeah next question is you kind of answered this but do you find it really difficult to maintain a social life yeah it can be at times because people don't really understand just because it's invisible like I said so yeah it's easy for people to just think oh she's canceling plans because she doesn't want to come when really it's just me being like I want to lay in bed and not do anything because I feel like crap. Mm-hmm. But on the outside, I look fine. So people kind of just assume that, yeah, I'm lying. <laughs> um, so yeah, it can be hard to maintain a social life, but I've always had really good friends and family that are super understanding. Um, so for me, it's been relatively easy, I guess, just because I have had really supportive people around me. But I know for some people it can be really difficult and it was really difficult for me when I was younger because no one got it and I was embarrassed to tell people so yeah totally next question this is a really good one if you had a choice would you prefer your illness to be visible so that more people would understand (laughs) um no I don't think I would want it to be visible just because I feel like your illness doesn't need to be visible for you to bring awareness to it. Mm -hmm. I think that people can be understanding without physically seeing it. And if they're not, it kind of keeps me from allowing those people into my life. So I'm thankful that, yeah, (laughs) that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then I think like if it was visible, more people would feel bad for me. And I really don't want people to feel bad for me. I just want people to be aware and just to be kind and sensitive to what other people are going through. So, yeah, I'm kind of thankful that it is invisible just for those reasons. Yeah, love that. Um, What's one thing that you want people to know about you or about UC? Um, That it doesn't define me. Like Like I said, a lot of people, they find out that I have a chronic disease and their immediate reaction is, oh, I feel so bad for you. Or like that must really suck. But half the time, I honestly forget that I have UC because it's just become like my life and I'm so used to it. So yeah, I just really want people to know that it doesn't define me and 
that you can live a normal life with UC because there is a lot of people that when they're first diagnosed, they feel so helpless and then they see me and they kind of just, I don't know, I've had messages where people will be like, you're so lucky that you can like go out and do things and drink, but behind closed doors, they don't see what I go through. So they don't see me laying in bed or taking a hot bath because my stomach hurts or canceling plans. They just see like what's on Instagram. And that's kind of why I've tried to be a little bit more open about it, just because I don't want people to think that my life is amazing (laughs) and that I don't struggle. But yeah, totally. Um, Next question. This is kind of funny. (laughs) Do you poop a lot? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, most people do, but... (laughs) I mean, now that I'm in remission, I'm relatively normal. I would say that I'm probably the same as a normal, healthy person, but when you are in a flare, yes. (laughs) Like I said, it can be like 20 plus times a day, if not more. Like, you literally can't leave the bathroom, so... Holy shit. Literally. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Um... Someone asked, how do you manage the anxiety you get and do you have any tips for people? Yeah, so the anxiety that I have with colitis is basically that I get so nervous to leave the house because I'm basically scarred from, like, past experience of being, like, in a flare and then having to, like, go to the bathroom or getting nauseous and having, like, just episodes, like, in public. So, um, for me that's like a big anxiety is just being able to leave the house without doing that Mm -hmm. but how I manage it is I really just have to do it like I have to push myself past my boundaries because I am someone with social anxiety so it's easy for me to just um, keep myself away and keep myself locked up at home Mm -hmm. so if I was to do that I would feed into it (laughs) so I really just have to push through some days and just do it and expose myself um but yeah that's probably like my biggest anxiety is just that what if I go in public and there's no bathroom and I really have to go and then I get sick and people are like watching and I'm like I yeah I don't know that's just like a fear that I have because of what I've gone through in the past so yeah I really just have to like push myself and overcome it and think like Mm -hmm. the best (laughs) because it doesn't happen it never happens Every time I go out, it's never happened. So, yeah. Um, last question from social media is, how do you stay so positive? Um, when I was first diagnosed, like I said, I was really depressed. But then as I got older, I kind of realized, like, I can either let this disease define me or I can live my life. And I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. (laughs) Just kind of like live my life as if I don't have UC and live it to the fullest. Because basically, I never know when I can go into a flare. I could go into a flare next week and I could be in a flare for a year, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really just try to be positive and push through and think the best because I don't know, I kind of just have the mindset too that like it could be worse. There's much worse things out there and you can live a relatively normal life. Obviously, I have setbacks where there is those days where I don't want to leave or because I'm on Remicade, I catch everything. But yeah, that's kind of just how I am so positive. Plus, I've always had really good doctors and friends and family. So 
they help a lot too. Yeah, and that's super, super important, of course. All right, well, that's all I have for today. Thanks again for coming on. Um, I actually learned a lot more about it. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. And go um, peep her handle, as you would say. <laughs> Thanks, Dallas. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.